to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. Alzheimer's Speaks was created because my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years and it was life-changing. And even though it had its bumps in the road, uh, I wouldn't have given up two seconds of being on that journey with my mom. It was really ended up being a very beautiful and powerful experience of, of full of life lessons and love and laughter. So, you know, we're here basically to connect you to resources, to share knowledge, to give hope, and to raise all voices. And, and I love, absolutely love my job and the opportunity to talk to people all around the world at all different levels who are making a difference in, in, in dementia care and, and helping us shift from crisis to comfort. So if you haven't already, I would highly recommend that you subscribe. And uh, that way you won't miss an episode. You can always listen at your leisure at any time. We also uh, are known kind of not only just as an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world through education uh, in various modes, but we also help companies expand their brand footprint by leveraging our content to help increase access to their products, services, and tools, which again, people need. And everyone has a right to be able to choose what it is they are needing. Now, before I get started today, I'm just going to do a shout out to a few organizations. One um, I'm going to note actually is an author who is giving us a wonderful deal on his book for the holidays. So if you're looking for a great gift idea, you're going to want to check out this book, which is critically important in terms of helping families deal with the dementia diagnosis. It's called Parental Dementia, and it's a guide through all the difficult questions by Keith Gallus, and he has spent more than 20 years helping families work through questions that keep popping up through the journey while he worked in senior housing. The book even has some great worksheets in the back uh, to kind of keep your thoughts in order and, you know, what what is it that you need helping you figure that out. You can purchase the book by going to parentaldementia.com. That's parentaldementia.com and put in the code Lori, L-O-R-I, uh, to go ahead and get a discount there. Two others that I want to mention is one is the Memory Cafe directory. I love the Memory Cafe with all my heart. We've got over 800 of them, I believe, in the country right now. And they are a support gathering for people with early to mid-memory loss and their care partners. So check them out. They are typically free by going to memorycafedirectory.com, or maybe you host a memory cafe and you want to get in the directory, there's no charge to be in it. So again, check them out at memorycafedirectory.com. 
And last, I um, want to give a shout out to Stall Catchers. Stall Catchers is a game that we can all participate in. And by playing this game, we are actually analyzing real uh, Alzheimer's data. So we are pushing research forward by playing this game. Uh, people from 9 to 96 have played, and they play all around the world. Some have competitions. Some are starting to bring it into schools and libraries on a regular basis. Again, uh, you can check it out more by going to stallcatchers.com, stallcatchers.com. And today I am really excited to have a colleague with us uh, who has been on the show before, who I finally got to personally meet uh, just a, about a month ago, and uh, which that is always so much fun. And so today we're going to be talking with Paula Spencer Scott, who is the author of Surviving Alzheimer's, Practical Tips and Soul-Saving Wisdom for Caregivers, which I have to say, I really, truly, from the bottom of my heart, think this is one of the best books that anybody can get. If you are dealing with any form of dementia or if you are a care partner or friend, it's just a, an amazing, amazing book. Paula has written several other books on um, health and family, and she covers a lot on uh, dementia, brain health, family caregiving for Parade Magazine, PBS, Next Avenue, and a lot of other outlets. Uh, she's a fantastic journalist as well. She has also been touched by five family members with dementia. So welcome, Paula. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I am very excited to have you on. This will be a, a very fun conversation. I always like to start with people explaining if they've been personally touched by dementia. And in the intro, I said you had five family members. Can you just give people a, a little, I mean, we could have a conversation probably an hour long on that alone, but if you can just give us a tidbit um, in terms of how that affected you. Sure, sure. Um, my um, father had um, dementia, and that was really the, the case that sort of brought it to awareness for me. My grandmother had also had Alzheimer's, um, and that was at a time when I didn't know very much about it at all. Um, I've also had um, several um, in-laws who had various forms of dementia, including my father-in-law, who lived with us for about three years, who had a, a form of a frontotemporal dementia which then brought the, the adage um, home, which was, if you've seen one case of dementia, you know, you've seen one case, because here I thought I knew, okay, I got this, I understand Alzheimer's, I understand, you know, vascular nature dementia, and then, um, you know, he was another form that, you know, had its own challenges. So a lot of commonalities, um, and including, you know, the stressors being similar, but, you know, different things as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that. That's always, I think, helpful for, for our audience. Now, you write and you speak a lot about the impact that helping someone with dementia has on the person who's actually doing the helping. How is that even possible in terms of reducing and kind of lowering stress levels? Because you always hear about, oh, the doom and the gloom and all the burden and the extra responsibility and and I'm right there with you. I think you get so much back. But I want to hear from you um, how you see that play out. Sure, sure. It, I mean, 
it, it is stressful and I'm not gonna, um, I'll be the last one to put a, a sort of a Pollyanna face on it. Um, there's just so much that can be um, causing the stress, whether it's the, the, the disease itself or your support situation, or, you know, there's good days and there's bad days and all, all kinds of things cause stress. Everybody who's listening like knows like why there is some forms of stress, but what I see time and time again is that the, the people who are um, affected in the family are often, you know, they're just so focused on the person and helping the person uh, who has dementia that their own needs kind of recede a little bit into the background. And something, so I'm a professional uh, asker of questions and, and getter of answers. That's sort of what, um, what I have done for a living always and um, have been really privileged to talk to some of the best minds and working in this, whether in medicine and social work and um, caregivers across the country, I mean, just able to really pick a lot of people's brains. And once a, a psychologist was explaining to me that this thing called the 50% rule, which is that, you know, you can control half of the stressors in any situation. You can't control all of it because it's just there, but you can control half of it um, in any situation, even with something like Alzheimer's and dementia care. Um, and that was really like a, kind of an eye opener for me. Um, and it pulled together a lot of things that I had learned um, from other people in other ways about specifically how do you deal, deal with that kind of stress. But it, it, it all comes back to that idea of, you know, a lot of the stress we feel is because like we're, we don't have any control over it, right? You know, we don't, we can't control, um, the trajectory of the disease or the fact that they have the disease or that they're going to have good days and bad days. And yet there are still things that, that we can control. Very true. And that 50% rule I think is, is really, really pertinent. And I'd like to dive in a little bit deeper because it's nice to be able to say you can reduce it and just focus on what you can control. But most right. people, they're so sucked into the minutiae swirling around them, you know, you can't even see straight, you know, when you're, right. when you're really in crisis. So how the heck do people begin to remove the stress and really focus on what they can control? Right. Um, so the, the, you know, the person with dementia can't change. We all know that. So you have to change. And as you said, that can sound overwhelming until you kind of break it down a little bit. And really there's three um, buckets of things that we can control in this situation. And one bucket is changing our perceptions, sort of the way, um, looking at things in a different way, looking at the disease in a different way, looking at the situation in a different way. And I, I can talk about some specifics, but changing your perception is one. Changing something about the situation itself um, is the second one, so that you can maybe sidestep or eliminate some of those stressors by doing that. And then the third is, is changing something about yourself um, to give you a little more strength or resilience or persistence or just patience, you know, in a given day or in a given moment. So and those are three things that you can control that can not make it all go away, but that can kind of give you a little bit more control over the situation and make you feel less stressed. Well, those are, those are great, but let's break each one of those down um, to help people kind of gain this control. So let's start out with changing perceptions. What does that really mean, and, and how does somebody go about that? 
Yeah. Um, one really practical way um, is this idea of um, changing how you think about dementia itself. And, um, you know, if there's any silver lining, I guess it's, it's that we are living in a time when there is starting to be some greater change out there. I mean, that's what this whole, um, the dementia-friendly communities, you know, movement and, and programs like yours and people out there that are, are talking about it. Um, so it makes it a little easier to realize that it's its own universe, right? It's its own, it's its own reality. And something that, um, uh, actually, uh, the phrase I learned from um, Bob DeMarco from Alzheimer's Reading Room was he calls it, you know, stepping into Alzheimer's world, where he would literally, to, to deal with his mother, um, would, would take a step to the left as he was going into a situation with her. It's kind of cueing your body to like, okay, I have to like, I'm going into a different mode. I, ha I, I can't be the way that I am all the time. I can't talk to her the way that I, you know, my instinct is wanting me to react to this situation. I have to kind of move into this a little more consciously. Um, my husband and I had, you know, dealt with all kinds of dementia in our families, but when we were dealing with um, my father-in-law, we would literally have to remind ourselves, you know, right, it's, it's, he's doing a certain odd thing, you know, it's, it's the disease, it's not him. Um, Lisa Gwyther, who uh, is over at, at uh, Duke, um, you know, has this thing about, you know, just putting up little signs around the house, like BTD, you know, blame the dementia, just as little reminders to step into that world, to help you change your expectation that you're, you're in a different way of thinking about it now. Um, and, and even in changing your expectations about the disease itself, I mean, I think that's where knowledge really is, is power by knowing more about, learning more about what to expect. I mean, it's just that constant new normal at every stage, but you know, ignorance is not bliss. And so if you can keep trying to get, collect some new information about what you're facing, um, it helps you, I don't know, I, I, I hear people again and again say it helps them understand, you know, that that this is a change. This is um, this is this stage. This is this is now. Um, and kind of continuing maybe educating yourself um, about just by talking to other people. I mean, it doesn't have to be like take a class or do anything hard, but knowing kind of what to expect, knowing that that's normal. That's that's okay. That's typical. That can be a huge stress reliever because you're thinking like I've done something wrong. Like what did I do wrong? What 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 am that the shoulds and the oughts and instead if you understand that that's part of the reality that makes you, you know, feel a little better um, and even changing your expectations about your yourself um, you know I think we all get caught up in these like what I'm supposed to do right it's back to those oughts and I'm I'm or even things like I'm supposed to always be cheerful in that person's presence I'm supposed to always be upbeat I'm supposed to give my best and try harder and not lose my patience. So we beat ourselves up as opposed to kind of having the expectation that, you know, it, it's okay to mess up. Um, I mean, one of the, the most popular articles that I wrote once a long time ago was called, the, I think, The Seven Deadly Emotions of Caregiving. Um, and it was just about things like resentment, like anger, you know, guilt, those, 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 little feelings that we don't think we're supposed to have. And if you instead your expectation is, those are common, that's understandable that I would feel that way um, and that it's acceptable, then you can kind of acknowledge it and move forward with it. But if you're clinging to the expectation that you're supposed to be 
perfect, which even people who are so like well-intentioned and they're doing everything great, the, the, the amount of beating ourselves up because of, there was that bad day, <laughs> you know, like all the other days that was good go flying out the window, but we, we just have this expectation that we, we got to be there hundred percent all the time, all the time, all the time. And you, you can't do that for six weeks, six months, six years, it, you know, you just can't. Yeah, very true. I know, you know, with my journey with my own mom and, and I never put it, I never kind of broke it down into these categories that you have, but it makes perfect sense. And um, now what I do, I think I'm really good at helping people shift their perceptions. And a lot of it starts with the stigmas that we, you know, that are held, like even the term caregiver sets people up to be burnt out. Um, the idea that we are still much more alike than different because we've been told it's so different and we're, we're told to almost look for the symptoms, look for the bad, not look for the good. And, and the belief that we can still have a relationship or that life can still be good with dementia. You know, we've been sold that bag of goods for so long as a society. And so we're still battling, well, they can't be talking Well, they're driving. Well, they can't have it. They should be in a wheelchair and drooling and not be able to speak because that's the common perception still to this day of what people think dementia is. And so being able to change those perceptions and to be able to speak openly about them, I think yes. it's huge. Huge. I'm so glad you said that because that's the, this whole idea that it's all like things were good and now we're stepping into the bad. It's like it's just gone from, you know, light to darkness. And that that perception carries a lot of that, that misperception it just carries a lot of extra burden that we put on ourselves and, and does no service to the person that we love who's dealing with their own things and is trying to, you know, we just, you know, maybe need some help, but but not this, you know, just collapse of the world. Like That's not doing anybody any favors here. Well, and when you talked about emotions too, I think that that's a critical aspect because, you know, emotions are normal and we don't get out of bed and stay with one solid emotion all day. You know, we get in the car and someone tries to cut us off and we're like, hey, you know, <laughs> we get mad or, or, you know, like we get a spam call that just irritates us or, our technology goes wacky whack. Um, you know, it can be a million different things that can swing our emotions. And yet we, we have this expectation of ourselves that we're not allowed to do that anymore, that we have to, we have to be an even pace. Um, I think people are, are very much aware, if it's true or not, of being judged by others. People are watching how you care and what yeah. you do. And so they also don't understand. And I know I sure didn't, you know, cause I, I thought I had to be that person too, that, you know, was always, and I always had been in control and organized. I was kind of that person in the family and now not so much. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to package it that way. And it's really frustrating because it's going to the left and it's going to the right and it's going up and down. And you know, I'm just like trying to get it in the box, get it in the box so I can carry it around and I know what it is. And that's not what dementia is, but that's not what life is either. And right. so understanding that this is just another thing that we have to learn to graciously learn to adjust with. 
um, is is very important. And I also, um, when I go out and speak, I, I share a thing called tears, fears, and joy. And getting people to understand that they are going to find what they're looking for. So if they're looking for all of the loss, that's what they're going to find. You know, yes. that's what they're going to focus on. And then you, you spin in that grief. And not that we don't have to grieve because, you know, we all are grieving every single day. It's just not a conscious thing we do until there's a real major loss. But there, you know, it is, it is a normal thing. But when it comes to dementia, one of the, the things that helped me out the most was realizing that I can't have great loss without first having great love. And that, that is an honor that some people never have. And so that helped kind of pull me out. And then the fears are usually about all those things we're trying to control and we're trying to get in the box and, and get organized. And again, having that appreciation that some of the detours in life are the most precious gifts that we'll get, you know, it gives us an opportunity to go down a different path that we weren't even aware existed before. And yeah. again, not that some detours can't be um, maddening and flat and irritating, but some of them, it's like, gosh, you know, if that went to happen, I wouldn't have done this, you know, and I wouldn't have found out about that or we wouldn't have had this conversation. And so, yeah shifting the, that perception and then realizing that joy, which is what most people say they want out of those three things, can only be found in the present moment. And yeah. so sometimes I think we we aren't present and we don't even know it. I know I, I, I was so busy being busy, I didn't know that I really wasn't available, emotionally available. Yes, yes. And, and control is such a... Um, it's such a, a stiff word, right? Because you're, you're hanging on and you want it to be, you know, you use the analogy of a box, right? I mean, it's a, a rigid thing. Whereas, you know, what this situation demands is what life demands, which is fluidity, flexibility. Change, you know, there's just changes. Oh, there's changes in various stages, but there's also changes in the morning to the evening. There's changes in what happened when you were driving. <laughs> um, you know, that doesn't have anything to do if it happened, you know, whatever anyone's health is in your household. I mean, there's just all that demands fluidity. And in order to, to be right in the present moment, you know, demands being open and fluid and not, you know, you can't be going looking backward and you can't be going too far forward, which is what fear is. Um, and you think it would be the easiest thing in the world to just try to, you know, just be more fluid. Um, it makes things easier, but it's just hard to remind yourself to be in that place. It would be nice if we taught that in schools because I learned that lesson way too late in life. Yeah. I bet I was, you know, 40, 45 years old. And, you know, and I, I'm surprised I have any hair left, you know, really from, from the years prior. But it, um, it, once you get in that space of, of letting go, it's, it's just, you can't even really put it into words. It's so calming. It's so peaceful. And you're like slapping yourself going, well, what took me so long? To, yep. to get here you know why did I hold on so tight because this is really a better space to be in yeah but we don't know what we don't know you know I feel like it took me that long to learn like how to um how to breathe <laughs> right like how to breathe 
how to think, which is what you're describing. You know, even like, I mean, I, you know, I could get into like how to, you know, sit down and stand up and walk like properly. Like these are all the, the, the key tools of living that it took me, you know, half a century to get to. Um, I'm glad I did because it's sure helping for the second half, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and breathing, just learning to deep breathe you know take those deep breaths you know and how it can change your body chemistry and and you know make you calmer and and plus it gives you that time to just kind of recheck rebalance you know with all of that is really important let's talk about changing the situation because sometimes people feel like they can't change the situation and i kind of chuckle with that because usually it's a person who used to be like me who was in total control and know this is how it's going to be done. We don't need to change that. This schedule works good for me, um, but it might not be working so good for the person with dementia. Well, it can be a lot of different things. It's, I think of it as different ways to either sidestep or eliminate the stressors, right, that you're imposing on, on yourself. And so, I mean, one is changing the situation, what, uh, changing your support world right? Like, what is it? Um, I, mean, I think it's uh, the memory cafes are actually a great example, right? Of something that is, you know, it's easy, it's pleasant, it's um, good for everybody in so many ways. Um, and, you know, adding that into your, your world of how you, you're supporting yourself through um, this stage of your life um, is, a, is a huge thing. I mean, there's just other, you know, do you have somebody that you can, um, you know, call and be your your vent person or wh whatever but you, but is there something you can change about your support world um the you know what stresses out a lot of people of course are um especially in sort of middle and later stages um of dementia are um our behavior issues and um you know there um i mean the whole idea is right it's like don't don't reason with them um when something is going on you know it's like look for the reason why um and so in my book i talk about lots of different kinds of situations and you know applying the the kind of the why this try this approach why is this happening and then looking for for you know things that you can try to, to resolve it a bigger thing that's going on right now is this whole idea of um recognition of you know that a lot of behavior problem we think of it as you know behavior problems are really you know, triggered by um, boredom, you know, lack of socialization, um, and also things like fatigue, um, uh, things that are related to dementia, you know, misperceptions, um, you know, visual uh, cues, could be discomfort. I mean, there's a, there's a huge range of, of different things, but when you approach it as, well, okay, what's, why suddenly, you know, did mom, you know, fly off the handle at me? Like, kind of looking for the clues as to why, understanding that there usually is a trigger, right? That behavior is language, that it's it's telling you something. And it could just be telling you that she's bored out of her mind sitting in, you know, a chair in the corner all day because, you know, there's nothing else going on because you've decided that it's um, a, a problem and you, you're trying to, you know, keep her safe and, and not go anywhere or do anything, but yet, um, you know, boredom is causing her to have these other behavior issues. But um, it's kind of a long-winded way of saying that there's a lot of different different triggers. But if you look for the causes and clues, 
including asking the person, which they can't always um, articulate it, but sometimes they can, you know, that the whole thing of tell me, tell me more about that. It's one of my favorite phrases, you know, you're, you're, my father-in-law would be saying something that seemed completely nonsensical and, you know, you, you, I'm, you can't argue the, the, the facts of the case, but instead it was like, you know, tell me more about that. And then you would unravel it and I would, you know, understand that he really was um, uh, upset because he thought something was gonna happen at a certain time because he saw some, you know, trigger on television that made him think that. And you can kind of unravel that behavior. Um, and then you can, you know, eliminate the trigger, um, distract the person and redirect them you know, resolve the situation in, in some way, um, as opposed to um, just being stressed out and saying, you know, stop that and don't do that and um, getting into to tugs of war. I think there's a lot of, of good information about this kind of um, way of getting around these behaviors that didn't used to exist before. So people just thought it was just the disease, uh, you know, his brain changed, and it's just making him do these things. When really, um, yes, that's part of it, but but that there are really other underlying issues, and and you know, maybe something like a um, as simple as a, a mood that day, um, and and trying to you know unravel that and not automatically assign it to something you you can't do anything about. I was taking notes on on so many different things because I. I do think it is, um, you said, why this, try this. And there's, you know, the lovely thing with dementia is you can always try something. You always have another moment. And and remembering that just because it worked in one moment doesn't mean it's going to work in the next moment. Because, like you said, their perceptions have changed. Their, their attitude may have changed. And so I use something called, I think that goes right in with, with what you're talking about, the reaction equation, which is their current attitudes plus their past perceptions, um, create their perceptions and their perceptions trigger their response. But the funny thing with that equation is we all use it. This is the yeah. dementia thing. It's just yeah. pulling from a different pool. And then also we get so used to um, having somebody tell us words and we rely on words and there's, you know, we communicate more than three quarters of our communication is nonverbal. It's yes. multi-sensory. And so getting people to understand that they have to look deeper because somebody could still be saying everything's okay, but they've got a tear in their eye and something's off, you know, or I remember um, looking at really some basic things, being at the nursing home with my mom and we were, Outside, it was a summer day, but there was a, a cool breeze, and everybody had a jacket on. The sun was shining, and there was one woman who was further along in her dementia. She was wheelchair-bound, but she had a little table top on her wheelchair, and she was moaning, and she was banging on, her, uh, on the table, and the staff kept trying to get her to stop and, um, because it was irritating to everybody out there. And I, I looked at the staff and I said, can you please just go get a blanket for her? And they're like, well, she's got a coat on, she's fine. And I'm like, just do me a favor and go get a blanket or I'll go ask the director to get me a blanket. And so she went, oh, okay, you know, I don't wanna be tattled on, you know, I'll go get the blanket. And all I did was I wrapped the blanket around her ankles because she had shoes on, she had socks on, but they were short and her pants were up high. You know, they weren't down low. And so 
it was, she was cold, you know? Yeah. And so sometimes it's environmental things. It could be sounds, you know, that it's too loud. It could, you know, the, over the holidays now, it could be flashing lights or those little um, things that are propped around the house. You walk by them and they start shaking and singing a, you know, carol or having a comment or whatever. All of those things can be triggers that can be solved or, Harry Urban used the, the um, case one time. He said he was feeling really paranoid, like somebody was behind him, and he kept turning, and every time he would turn, there was nobody there, and he couldn't figure it out. Well, here it ended up being that there was a shadow when he was facing oh, his computer yeah. this way, but when he turned, there wasn't a shadow. And so all yeah. they had to do was shut the blinds. So yes. some things are so little but if you're not if sometimes we're, we only look for the big things the obvious things and those yes. aren't the fixes sometimes they're well, just really simple and when you talk about communication being so much nonverbal, it actually goes both ways right and so it's our affect and our I mean I can't think of how many times when I you know I get annoyed and I would you know give an answer to my father um, and, but, you know, I was giving, I was answering his question for the, you know, hundredth time, but I wasn't really connecting with him. I wasn't looking him in the eye. I wasn't slowing down. My whole body language said, I'm just, I'm just annoyed, at, you know, with you, even though I didn't mean to come off that way. And that's what he was reading, which was making him a little bit more annoyed. So he, you know, as opposed to you know, finding a way to solve the actual thing that he wanted solved. Um, and it was all because of my body language. So it's, it is really small things that can cascade into really big problems. Well, and sometimes they could be in a perfectly good mood till we walk in with a bad attitude. And yes. then they're like, they'll ask us how you do. Oh, fine, fine. You know, put the Stepford wife smile on. Yeah, everything's fine. But our body language is not yeah. saying that. And they're still able to read that from us. And so often I think people just think, you know, that they, they can't hear, they can't see, they're not processing. And sometimes there's very inappropriate stuff said in front of a person with dementia, thinking that they, they don't know, um, or they're not going to absorb it. And they do. And so it's very important for us to learn how to communicate better, um, and even, you know, in terms of a small thing we could change too would be when we're talking to somebody with dementia, look at them, you know, don't, don't look away. Don't have your head turned because they're reading your lips too. And your face. On their level. On their level I'm looking at yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when we're above, then we, we get intimidating and uh, sometimes we don't even know that. And uh, yeah, it, it's very, very important. What about the third way was about controlling yourself, learning to really change maybe something about you. And then that, that can make people squirm because I don't need to change. I'm fine. I'm not the issue. They have dementia. I'm caring for them. How does that make a difference by making a change in, in oneself? Well, well, some of it are the kinds of things we were just talking about, about you know, slowing yourself down and being more present, you know, finding ways to be more present in the, 
in the moment. But also, I mean, this kind of crosses over into the area of, of self-care, which is a phrase that I've come to like hate because it's like I'm going to tell you about like take a bubble bath and, you know, just chill. Um, but um, but there are really like small, simple things that we can do to um, to to take care of ourselves that that um, put us in a better position to be more resilient and patient and and all those kinds of things. I've been become very interested lately in um, in brain health um, through really through Alzheimer's prevention, kind of following upstream. Um, where's the disease starting? What's causing it? And you know what can be done about it. And but through some of that work, you know, I've come away with some such simple things that that you know that we all can do that um, put us in a better place. So one of them is this whole idea of of mindfulness um, and of being you know more present in the moment. And even simple things like um, you know like the Headspace app, you can download free nice Australian voice man will talk to you and um, uh, and they're, they're very short like they could be thirty seconds, sixty seconds. Um, it's just sort of teaching you how to be more in that in that moment just just right there and and to kind of re restore yourself um, uh, things like um, you know you hear a lot about diet and the, the mind diet is really important but one of the the simplest things that these neuroscientists are saying is like that's really great for your brain is to just drink more water like we most of us are dehydrated like all the time and it it, it affects your your mood and your affect and your overall health and how your cells are functioning and it's such a small simple thing but um but yeah like i could get on board with a diet that wants me to just, you know, drink more water. Again, really small, small thing um, that makes a big difference. The, the other thing that I like is this idea of, um, of resisting habit. So we all fall into habits, right, of the way we've always done things or the way we always, you know, because it's efficient and because it lets us be in control and put things in a box. But actually, our brains don't really like habit. It, it makes them work very efficiently, but you know what's really stimulating to your brain is is doing different things. Doing the brain loves novelty, um, learning new things, trying out new things, and so kind of just forcing yourself a little bit to resist doing something the same way all the time um, is not only good for your brain, but I think it's it's good because as we were talking about being supple in helping someone with dementia and living with dementia in your life, it's much better to be more um, more, more supple, trying new things. We did this today. We're going to, you know, try this tomorrow. At the same time as I'm saying that, I mean, I understand that that routine is a, it becomes an important, um, a general routine to the day, a flow to the day becomes very helpful for, um, a lot of people mentally, but you don't have to do every little small thing all the same, you know, all the time or, or in your own, you know, personal life. Um, even things like, you know, I don't know about you, but like, did you keep up with all your doctor and dental and vision appointments when you were taking care of your mom? It's like, where would you just keep putting off that mammogram or, you know, whatever. It's just something like that, like making yourself as much of a priority because, you know, we all know dementia care is not like crisis care. I mean, it has crisis moments, but it's a chronic long-term thing. And so you have to set yourself up, you know, for the longer term. 
any of those kinds of things, which are all really small, what they all do, what they all have in common is they kind of reduce the inflammation in the body, right? They, re they reduce the stress. You know, it's all these little things that, that add up. And so not only are you protecting your own brain health, which like that should be, for me, that was the big incentive to finally actually do like more healthy things and take care of myself, which is very strange. Um, it was like because of my brain, because I thought, well, this is, this is, what more incentive do, do I need than to try to control what I can control? We don't know all the genetic, you know, background history causes of, of dementia, but, you know, they know now that they believe like a, a one third of, of cases are, you know, lifestyle environmentally triggered. So if there are some things that I can do that are easy, like, well, why wouldn't I do them? Especially if they're going to give me more resources to be a little kinder <laughs> to those who are around me. Um, so that's what I mean by like changing things about yourself, really small little things. But if you, it's again, it's like that awareness. If you make it more conscious, it can have a trickle down effect to, to all of you. I had a, a friend who was like a doctor in 75 and he would always say, you know, your, your genes aren't your destiny. And so he had the, the, the gene for um, dementia and he would um, routinely change things up. And so he and his wife would go out for dinner, for example, and they would not pick their wine. They would ask the waiter to bring them a wine. And then the two of them kind of had a contest to see who could pick what wine it was. And oh. To get their minds thinking, brush their teeth using opposite hands and standing on one foot, um, just little little things to challenge themselves and yeah. um and then you had mentioned um also you know the more water i think a lot of people don't realize how important hydration is and sometimes people avoid the hydration because they're afraid they might have an accident not make it to the restroom in time and so that just kind of adds to everything you know and so maybe that needs to be checked out instead um sleeping more that's come up you know recently and how that clears uh, some of the plaque away in the brain and the brain needs to rust it needs to cleanse itself i was going to say sleep is one of those i call them like a red flag issue like if you're having trouble sleeping so you don't and and some of the signs are like if you don't dream you know you even i don't remember our dreams but if you're not even aware that you've had any dreams or you think you're sleeping at night, but you wake up and you're really tired. I mean, there's certain things that are um, that are signals of, of poor sleep, or you just know that you're not sleeping because the person um, with dementia maybe is having their own sleep issues and having a lot of trouble. That's a really red flag issue. That's like a don't live with that problem without talking to somebody. Like mention that's worth mentioning to, you know, your doctor, their doctor, um, because I it, it's so critical to your own health and well-being as you're just saying yeah uh, going around being exhausted is not is not a good thing at all not a good thing um i was going to mention the social engagement i know for me um as when i was caring for my folks i pretty much cut out all of my personal social stuff because i just didn't have time and that was a really really big mistake yeah. A really big mistake. And I didn't realize how much of a mistake until I finally agreed to meet some girlfriends for coffee and thank God they didn't give up on me. And I, um, I honestly agreed to go just to get them off my back. I was tired of their calls. 
I was um, irritated and I'm like, okay, if I just show up, they'll stop calling. And that's really why I was going. That's, that's the mind frame I was at. I was just in overload. And I said I could come for 10 or 15 minutes and I stayed for two hours. And we laughed and we cried. And it's one of those things where you don't know how empty you are until you get filled. Yes. You don't, yes. you know, you just don't know. Or like even after my dad died, um, people, are, you know, because I had more time on my hand. My mom was now living in a nursing home. And that's actually where she wanted to be because my dad was there before he passed. And um, I had all this time and people are like, well, what do you like to do? And I didn't know. Yeah. For, yeah. for so many years, I had given of myself and I, and I hadn't cared for myself. I literally didn't know. And that's, that's not healthy. That's the difference between like stress and burnout. So stress is like an, a case of, of too much, right? I have too much to do. I have too many things going on. I have too many you know, responsibilities and burnout is when it becomes, is like a, a too little, like I just, I have too little. I, I'm just not, I, I'm not even going to go there. I'm too, I, I'm not even interested. I'm not even like, I can't, you know, it's like, you're just, it's, it's gone below empty <laughs> on the tank. And um, that's a great illustration of it. I mean, and, and it's hard. Like, I don't mean to sound like it's, it's super easy. Um, I mean, really any, any of these things, but they're all, they are all manageable in some way. And like just taking some small step, sometimes it's just that that smallest step can make things, I mean, it makes things one step better. It can grow from there. I remember one person in our um, memory cafe, she brought in a gratitude journal and she said, this has been life changing because I wasn't thinking anything was good in my life. Oh, just oh all my. consumed by yeah. the dementia. And she yeah. said every morning and every night, uh, every morning I write what I'm grateful for um, and what I want to pull into my life. And every night I summarize what my day was like and what happened that, that was good. It's and a perception changer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it shifts how you're thinking about it. And that gives you more control over the situation. It's not all bad. It, like you can, uh, that's a great, that's a great example. Like I said, I think some of the, the stigmas out there are so hard and fierce because we've been, you know, we've been marketed by doom and gloom. You know, that's how everyone's raised money for years. And I think society is demanding that that change, that they want resources and hope and they want to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And it's, it's neat to see those changes coming about. And like I said, your book, Surviving Alzheimer's, I, I, um, <clears throat> I shared it with our, our memory cafe people and, and many others. And like I said, people came back and said, best book ever, best book ever. It's, it's easy to digest. You can go to certain sections. It has a little bit of everything in it. And they just, and they all said they just felt calmer. They felt hopeful. Because you don't hear that a lot from, from people. They're, they're overwhelmed. It's like, where is it? What can I do? And um, people said, uh, had told me, this is going to be my new Bible. This is going to mm -hmm. help me live better. It was to take those thoughts from all these different silos, right? You get the geriatrician's perspective and you got a social worker who's got a great idea and you have this caregivers who have great ideas and all these different people. And you know, what I wanted to do was kind of bring it all together 
like the best of and and organized it in a way that made things easier and not harder like not more like to do's or 12 step really hard programs or you take a bubble bath or whatever i mean i you know i was really trying to be both practical but also soul saving because you know the the whole everybody is affected and so let's all find a new better way to live very much needed and i you know i think you um i think you met your goal and exceeded it from from what i've heard from many people so Thank you so much for, for taking the time to write this so important book for, for so, so many people. Again, it's called Surviving Alzheimer's Practical Tips and Soul-Saving Wisdom for Caregivers. And the book can be purchased at, at Barnes & Noble or Amazon, and you can get it in paperback or it comes in a Kindle format as well. The website is survivingalz.net, survivingalls.net. You can also find her um, on Facebook by going to Surviving Alls as well. And um, Paula will pop right, right up there. Um, anything else that you wanted to cover? Well, uh, like you said, we could probably, you know, talk for hours and hours about all kinds of, um, of, of stories. I, I just, I love this, like holding the twin ideas in, in the head that, that yes, it's, it is stressful. Don't let anybody, you know, say that it shouldn't be. But yes, you know, it's also, life is stressful, and there's tools that we all have for, for dealing with it in, in everyday life, and can be done, can be better. Yeah, and again, I think it gets down to that perception that, you know, you can look at your life as a mess, or you can look at it as a gift, and with dementia, the same thing is there. It can be a disaster, or it can be a gift, and, you know, for me, you know, living on the journey with my mom for 30 years, biggest gift I'll ever receive was was being at her side and learning from her. I mean, she just taught me to be a better person. She taught me to be more attentive, not by ringing her bell and going, Lori, get over here. You know, it wasn't it wasn't that it was just really practical stuff that I can use throughout all of my life. And I think that, you know, that applies to your book as well. There's so many things that just shift your mindset to say, oh, I never, I never looked at it like that, you know, because I was always told it was this. It's, it's, it's just a, a small mental shift, but so huge. Yeah, very much so. Well, thank you again for being with us, Paula. Really appreciate it. And again, people can go to surviving alls that's a l z dot net which is her website or you can always again go to amazon or barnes and noble uh, to either purchase the paperback or kindle again it's surviving alzheimer's practical tips and soul-saving wisdom for caregivers thank you again appreciate it and wrapping up, I just want to thank all of our listeners uh, for once again showing up, liking, clicking, and sharing our content on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and wherever else you are in social media. We know that by working together and raising each other's voices and, and building that sense of community, collaboration, and comfort, uh, we're going to win this battle against dementia. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Have a blessed week. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. 
Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.